All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 55 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli coming to you once again, as always, from our woodjerseys.com studio. Of course, got the Boston Bruins studio over my show, not studio, Jersey, and uh, Frank has the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. You can get anyone you want. It's an NHL-licensed product. You can get it at woodjerseys.com. Of course, we saw the new unveiling of the Kraken. They have lots of teams, and they'll have uh, pretty much all of them by the start of this coming season, which is uh, creeping closer by the day, basically uh, under two months now to the start of the uh, 21-22 NHL regular season. Frank? How's it going? Hard to believe, isn't it? Under 60 days to puck drop in the regular season. Like, I mean, that means training camps are right around the corner. Yeah, should be about a, just over a month away. So should be fun. Lots going on. Um, the uh, the Minnesota Wild for a team that, man, they've been in the uh, in the storylines in the summer for a lot of reasons, uh, mainly financially with buyouts. And now Fiala's going to arbitration. Team offers four. Arbit- uh, Fiala comes in at 6.25. So do they, do they split it right down the middle? Just over five. We'll wait and see. And then, of course, the big story, Kaprizov, and uh, you, you'd reported last week that you know, he's got a he's got an offer from Russia, but there is a salary cap in Russia. So how much can he really like? Do you think he can come close to seven or even eight million dollars in Russia? Well, it, it's way north of that. It's to my knowledge, it's an eight figure offer that's on the table. I believe it's 
you know, significantly north of 10 million as well. Um, you know, they're, they'd love to have him back. There's no question about that. He comes to the NHL north of a point per game player changes the look and feel of the Minnesota wild in the absolute prime of his career at age 25. And, you know, I saw lots of different reactions, Jay, uh, after sending out the tweet, you know, that this is the biggest ruse of all time, you know, empty threat. There's no chance he goes back. He, he's been there the entire time this summer. And, and I think there's a number of important things to point out. Um, and, and, and I'm carrying no one's water in stating these facts. He's been in Russia. He's, you know, gone through the flirtation process with Sheska, CSKA, Moscow, his former team. Uh, one of the wealthiest teams, at least in terms of backers, uh, in the KHL. And there was lots of talk about a salary cap in place in Russia, that it comes out to right around 12 million US dollars per team per year. Russia doesn't necessarily abide by rules and, and the salary cap here. So uh, I don't think that's a factor. Uh, maybe on paper it is, but whatever payments are made behind the scenes or, or a, a bag of cash, a duffel bag of cash that's delivered, whatever he can net in Russia in one year is, is way more. It would take him two or three years to earn here in the NHL. So that's important to point out. And the other part is we're, we're now dealing with a time crunch, you know, Dealing and related to the pandemic, it, it takes about a month to get the proper work visa in place for Russians to come to the United States. Guys who have had their contracts done or are dealing with multi-year deals don't have this same problem uh, because they can come back on their previous visa. But for a guy like Kaprizov who doesn't have a contract and doesn't have an ability to work in the U.S. at the moment, I saw a report out there that he had plane tickets purchased. That's great, but he can't come into the U S to work uh, without having a contract in place. And it takes about a month to do that. So if training camp opens on say the 23rd, 24th, somewhere in that neighborhood to get him to Minnesota, like we're talking about like a deal needing to get done in the next week here to get him in for the on-time start of training camp. So the clock is ticking. September 1st is the date that the season starts and in the KHL, and I think the other part of it too, Jay, and it's important to point this out, if there's no deal in place with Minnesota, I don't think it's out of the question that he begins the season in Russia and collects, you know, a million or $2 million and has an out clause in his contract to come back to the NHL if indeed he gets a deal done with the Wild to leave the team. So you could see him playing in September in the KHL. And I, I really, people think that's uh, that's just an empty threat. I don't think so at all in this case. Hmm. It'll be fascinating to see if, if that occurs. And the, the interesting thing is, for, from a Minnesota perspective, he's had one season in the NHL. It was a very good season. Don't get, don't get me wrong. You know, electrifying young player, but he's also a winger. And I just, I wonder, I can see the trepidation from Minnesota. Like when you're hearing that he wants, you know, nine, $10 million, you're like, I don't know. Like hasn't proven that yet. There's lots of guys who can have one good year. What if that's his career year? Now, maybe he'll be better, right? You, you would like to think, and I think Minnesota is going to bet that he's going to be better. But I can understand why there's a little bit of, hey, we need to see a little bit more than one year before we're going to lock a guy down for, for seven or eight years at huge nope. money. Like there is a risk involved there. The, well, there is a risk involved, but that's not the risk. That's not the risk that the wild have believe is, is really the issue here because they, to this point, you know, 
up until a couple of weeks ago had almost exclusively wanted him on a seven or eight year deal, meaning that he had already shown them that he can do it. I mean, 27 goals in 55 games last year, that's a 40 goal pace over an 82 game season. And, and as you mentioned, he changed the look and feel of that team. So, you know, they're not concerned in offering a seven or eight year deal. I think their issue is, and part of it's just, you know, for the wild, the tough part is he came over so late that, at age 24, he turns 25 next April. He's so close to unrestricted free agency. You know, the team has no appetite or interest in a two or a three-year deal. Uh, I don't think the player wants to get to six years. So they'd probably have to come in somewhere around four or five years. And the numbers, you know, to my knowledge to this point are still pretty expensive to the point where, um, you know, it's been unpalatable for Minnesota. So they've gone back and forth. I think the tough part is it's, it's gotten ugly. He doesn't have arbitration rights, obviously at this point, and, and there's not a lot that he can do. Um, but geez, um, you know, I think there's been a lot of frustration on both sides as this has twisted and turned here over the last bit since they really started to begin talking in April. And uh, another name that obviously hasn't got the same uh, amount of hype, but, uh, you know, he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. The Florida Panthers just signed one in uh, Joe Thornton. There'd been lots of talk about maybe Sedano Chara joining them uh, as where he's training in the offseason. What are you hearing about Big Z? Do you think, does the Thornton signing, I know completely different positions, but does that uh, help increase, decrease the chances of Chara signing with the Panthers? I was going to say, is there an NHL uh, limit in terms of 40-plus players that you can add to your roster? I mean, that would be pretty incredible if you saw Zidane or Chara sign there. I, I still think Chara is weighing his options. I'm not sure if Florida remains on the table or not. But, um, you know, for a guy that can come in and give you 16 to 18 quality minutes, you never have to worry about his shape. I would imagine that there's a number of teams that, you know, you see the caps and the reports that you got back from him joining them on a one-year deal uh, you know, rave reviews in terms of his leadership and everything that he brought to the room. So, um, you know, I, I was a little bit surprised to see Joe Thornton sign there, but I, I was actually really intrigued um, in his comments, just saying that he thinks that this team has a real chance to win and, and has, you know, really turned into a contender almost overnight here over the last, you know, 16, 18 months. And, I think he's seeing what we talked about a number of weeks ago as we sort of sifted through the offseason. That team is is locked and loaded and ready to go. Like I, I really think Florida's going to be a real team to watch this upcoming season. Well, I like Florida a lot. I still think they need another defenseman if they want to go on a deep run. Uh, obviously, the Aaron Ekblad injury. Like him and Mackenzie Weger, they're legit. I just think they're – I could see them adding another defenseman uh, by the deadline uh, for sure. Now, uh, the other news that's pretty big – is the uh, the NHLPA came out and you know fairly strongly, Frank, uh, you know, suggesting to players to be vaccinated. And you know, we've seen you know other leagues do this. Uh, this is the NHLPA. Um, so you know what? That's basically coming. It's not from the owners. They're not telling you. It's like your 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 union themselves is recommending you get this done. Do you see this? Um, will we see situations where some players really uh, go against this and could, uh, could lead to them possibly losing paychecks? Will we? Yes. I, I think there's going to be a number of players from each team that end up holding out. You know, some teams are going to get in the 90 plus percent range, 95% where their roster is, is mostly vaccinated. Um, 
I just think there's a number of players and they're, you know, just take it and, and slice off a general, you know, part of the population, even in Canada, one sixth of the country still not vaccinated yet in the U S the number is obviously higher. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's players choice, but the, the, the NHL has, and the NHL PA have, have made it clear you do so at your own peril, not just of your own, you know, health risk, but also a peril of your own wallet and bank account. If you need to miss games, uh, Canada is going to be instituting a, uh, a travel requirement for any traveler entering the country to be fully vaccinated. Um, and so, you know, if your team is playing in Canada, for instance, and you don't have a special exemption in place, which, you know, may not come in this case in, in a national interest special exemption, which the NHL has gotten to play both the Stanley cup final uh, in Canada and also the bubble in Edmonton, you know, if that, if that exemption doesn't exist, you won't be able to cross the border and play with your yeah. team. So you'd need to stay home. And so that's another significant requirement uh, that's going to be a big part of this. Oh, well, it would be huge for, you know, teams in the Pacific where you got three teams, obviously teams uh, out in with uh, who take on Ottawa and Montreal and Toronto. The Atlantic, like yes. Two specific divisions for sure that have a direct correlation to this. And that those are the teams that I'm going to be watching because it does impact them. If all of a sudden you have one or two guys who can't come on a, a road trip, that that's severely going to impact. And, and you could see that causing a, a little bit of concern amongst their, the, you know, amongst teammates saying, hey, wait a sec here, like, you know, unless you've got a medical reason not to do it, you can't well, just say, well, I don't believe in it. I'm not sure that'll stand. In effect, what they're doing is making the vaccine a requirement without making it a requirement. Uh, that's yeah. sort of the pressure that's being applied, you know, here throughout the U.S. is make the restrictions so severe for people that aren't vaccinated that it leaves them little other choice but to get vaccinated. So, um, you know, it's sort of, you know, the way that the NHL has approached a lot of different things over the years is, is you know, put people in a position where uh, this is what they have to do. And, and you know, just like, um, you know, fighting, for instance, we're not going to remove fighting from hockey, but we're going to change the game and change the rules so that, you know, those types of players become extinct and we don't even have to have the conversation about banning fighting. It's just going to become such a, uh, you know, minimal part of the game that, you know, eventually everyone just moves on. And so that's sort of the same tact and approach that they're taking with regards to you know trying to make vaccines mandatory, which they're not going to do, it's just they're going to make it pretty punitive for those that don't have it. And and already the it's not just the ability to go on road trips; it's also how those players are going to be treated that aren't vaccinated in terms of testing requirements, uh, different procedures and protocols that they're going to have to follow that people that are vaccinated and players that are vaccinated won't. Yeah, and uh, the Winnipeg Jets have already made it mandatory for fans to uh, to be vaccinated if they want to come. The San Jose Sharks uh, saying it's a mandatory vaccination or you have to have a, a, a negative test 72 hours before the start of the game, which means Winnipeg people... Is, they... Winnipeg's vaccination and mask for fans, yeah. which is, that's a unique step. Yeah, so it. Uh, I'll be curious to see how, how many other teams. I think teams will, all it takes is one to be a leader and uh, then others want to see what the backlash and response is. And I think you'll see more and more slowly get, because this is big business. And these these teams recognize if we can't have fans in our building, then all of a sudden uh, we're losing uh, legit revenue. And the players have to understand that too. They already owe a billion dollars. So I think both sides, the players and the owners, will want to have as many fans as possible in the stands this season. Uh, let's get to our uh, guest today. Of course, he's the uh, head coach of the Edmonton Orders, Dave Tippett. 
And now we get to our big guest delivered by DoorDash. Uh, restaurants and more delivered right to your door. Uh, many of your favorites. I know uh, Frank might have ordered a few Big Macs the other day. You can uh, get all of that. And if you're new to uh, DoorDash, you're a first-time user, use the uh, promo code RUNDOWNDD. You get 25% off your uh, first time and no delivery fees. So it's great. Uh, we welcome in today. He's currently the uh, head coach of the uh, Edmonton Orders. He's 20th all-time in games coached. He's 18th all-time in games one at 625. He was an undrafted player, went to uh, college, then signed with the Hartford Whalers, spent over a decade in the National Hockey League. Dave Tippett joins us. Tip, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Great. Good to be with you guys this morning. So um, now I know you're you're pretty you're pretty avid golfer. How uh, how many rounds you get in this summer so far? You know what I haven't. I used to be an avid golfer, and uh, I've really struggled with one of my hands. I've had a couple surgeries on it, and a plate, and some screws put in one finger. And uh, I haven't played as much. And it's funny. I uh, I had a guy mention to me down in Scottsdale a few weeks ago. Have you tried these new? Bryson DeChambeau grips and I had only played two times going into a couple of weeks ago and I put these new grips these great big they're real fat grips on it and because I have a couple fingers that don't work anymore and uh, I put them on I couldn't play two days in a row before that and I put these grips on and actually I've played about five times in the last uh, 10 days so oh. we had saved my golf career but I did play a lot I was playing a lot down in Scottsdale and the uh, I've got away from it, but hopefully I can play a little more now. So the grip just now you don't have to squeeze as tight. Is that the reason why? Yeah, it helps? It's just bigger. I have a, I have one finger that has a plate and it's funny when they did the surgery, I got the doctor to, to put a bend in the plate so I could at least get it around the club a little bit. But, <laughs> uh, I, on my right hand, I really only have two fingers that end up working. So I've got to have something that I don't have to grab onto. I can just kind of lay it in my hand. So it's a, uh, I played all right, so it's uh, it's going in the right direction. Hopefully, it uh, hopefully it helps. So now, at the peak of your golf playing career, Dave, uh, what was the best part of your game, and what was your like? What was your average score? I was uh, about three years ago. I think my index was around five or five five, something like that. So I was uh, I was playing. I don't hit it real long, but uh, I hang around. But I was I was regular in the seventies a few years ago. No. Wasn't that this weekend <laughs> playing a scramble? But uh, but I, I I got to a point where I, when I was playing a lot, you know, you obviously you get better when you don't play much. You don't you don't play as well. Dave, was that a hockey injury there with your hand? What happened? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got a thumb that uh, I think I broke it a dozen times and had surgery on the tendon, and then uh, it's my ring finger on my right hand. Just the arthritis was so bad that it. Uh, Finally, they went in and they just, they said, we're going to fuse these joints in it. So I've, uh, I've struggled with it for a while. It's really, uh, it's, it's been a painful process to, to finally get it, try to fix it a little bit. And the one way, I, when I had surgery there uh, about a year and a half ago, the last surgery on it, the guy just said, look, I, I can't make them work any better, but I can make it so it won't hurt as much. And that's I put all the, the metal in it and just froze everything up on it. So. Mm. It worked great, but uh, it doesn't hurt anymore, so we'll deal with it. 
Yeah, it's just an important reminder for us all. I think a lot of people don't recognize, you know, some of the injuries that former players are still dealing with. And obviously you've been coaching a long time. Wanted to to ask you, you know, just to, in terms of your coaching career, you know, how different do you think of a coach you are now compared to you were a few years ago? Like how much does do things change? You know, I, I talk to a lot of different coaches and, and sometimes the answer is not so much, but you know, you had a little bit of time off. You, you had some, a chance to sort of evaluate and, and take a step back. Are you a different coach now, you think, than a few years ago? I think you always evolve as a coach. And, and you know, times change, methods change. It's funny, uh, the golf tournament I played this weekend, I, uh, uh, it was Ronnie Francis and I, and there was a couple of young coach, young colleges coaches with us. So they were wanted to talk a lot of, uh, a lot of hockey and, um, a lot of coaching. And uh, the guy said, well, you know, what are the new trends? What are, you know, what are we doing different here? I said, you know what? There's a lot of things that get new names, but ultimately they just, they're, they're new names. They're the same thing of, you know, staying above the pop third guy high. Joel and I were laughing and said, you know what? There's a simple principle when the bucks in the corner and two guys goes, two guys go and get it or go after it. The guy that comes out with it, that team usually has a better chance of winning. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of things that tactically, you know, had the game has evolved, but ultimately there's a lot of things that are still the same. There's a will and a skill that, ha that has to be in place that, uh, um, if you, if you do things right and do things smart and play well as a team, you can usually find ways to win. So, uh, you know, the media, social media, all those things change. Players' mindsets change. So you have to evolve with that as it's as it's gone. So there's – you'd be lying to say it hasn't changed, but there's some, there's some, you know, underlying principles in there that have stayed the same. Now, Dave, for you, uh, Ray Fryer told me that when you were teammates in Hartford, you know, he was like, man, Dave always was taking notes on, on different things. Was coaching something you always thought you were going to do or you were you just always a student of the game, even when you were a player? No, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say I thought about coaching when I was playing, but I was a player. I was undrafted and, and I used to score a little bit in junior and, and, Everybody liked to score, but when I got to, I went to college. I had a coach named Gino Gasparini at University of North Dakota that really preached some, you know, we had to play a good team defense. And then I went to the Olympic team with Dave King and we had, uh, you know, he just put me in the third line center. You're going to be our checking center and uh, here's what you're going to do. And I learned how to play that role. And ultimately that's, the only reason I got a chance to play in the NHL because I, I was a penalty killer and a checker. And, and if I would have relied on my skill to score, I'm competing against Gretzky and Francis and those guys, I wasn't going to make it, <laughs> you know? So, uh, so, you know, you just learn the game, you learn about the, the different parts of the game. And um, as an NHL player, I'm in there, I'm just trying to survive. And, uh, and you, you think about how things you, you can do to make sure you're helping the team, even if they're not offensive stuff, there are ways to help your team win. And those are all things that I continue to think about to the end. Once I finished playing, it was, uh, it was one of those ones where you, I love the game. I like the camaraderie with players. I like being around the rink and it was just a, a natural progression into, into the coaching part of it. You mentioned that maybe tactically the game hasn't changed the communication 
you know, the coaches that you had, uh, you know, maybe and how they approached, uh, you know, talking to players compared to how you talk to players now in, in 2021, Dave, like you even go back to the early 2000s. I keep hearing, you know, players want to know as much as they can. They ask more questions than ever before. Are you more of a, of a mental coach maybe now than ever before? Not so much the changes tactically, but just in communication. Communication for sure. I mean, when I first started playing, my first coach was Tex Evans, old Jack Evans in Hartford. He never talked to anybody. <laughs> it would be weeks before. And even in practice, we'd have a practice. That the first practice of the year, he would go and stand a certain place. And he would say, after this, when I stand here, this is what I want you to do. And he didn't talk to anybody hardly, you know? So now players, there's two things. There's, there's one, you have to communicate with your players. They expect it. And it's uh, that's just the way of the world right now. The other thing is I really believe that the players are smart. The players understand the game. They understand where you're the feel of your team, how you're playing. And uh, you want their input. They're smart guys. You, you want their input. You want them to be part of it. And, you know, a guy that I know uh, people have had uh, uh, questions about, Brzezgalov, the goalie I had in, uh, in Arizona. Briz was a little off the wall when he's talking to the media and talking to you guys. Ultra smart guy. He would come to me and, we, and we'd be, and kind of we had to play a real tight defensive game and keep things outside. He would come to me after a game and he'd go, Chip, fellas played good. Nothing today. Nothing today. Easy day for me. And then he'd come and say, I... Another time, hey, Tip, too much inside, too much inside. Let's make sure we talk about that. You know, so smart, smart guys. Another one, Mike Liut, who I just played golf with this weekend. Ultra smart guy when it comes to the game. So players have players have a great read on where things are going. Um, you know, that's one thing that people probably don't understand about Connor. Connor is a really, really smart hockey per- person. He understands the game. He understands what's going on, understands his role, obviously, but but the defensive side, like you talk about with him and he'll, if he, if he hasn't thought about it, you bring it up. He's, he's dialed into it, you know, so players are smart. You, you need their opinion. And I believe that coaching is not just about a coach telling the players to do this. It's about building, building a team and, and building a team that works together. And our staff, I think works like that. I think our team, if you asked them, how does, how does the coaching staff work? They would say that they're in pretty good sync. And if the coaching staff's in sync, the players are in sync, and then we, we mold it all together, and that's how you build a good team. You mentioned in sync, Dave, and, and having a feel for your team. That's actually one of the things that struck me from the comments from your players uh, following the disappointing sweep last season was just that everyone seemed to be on board in terms of the process that this team needs to take in order to get where it wants to get to. Um, you know, how do you view this off season and the changes that were made? Obviously, you know, a number of pieces coming back, uh, you know, you keep a guy like Tyson Barry, you bring in a guy like Duncan Keith and the experience that he provides. And then up front, the changes with Zach Hyman and Warren Fogel, how much are those changes going to help you get to where you want to get to? Well, I think it really helps our group. If you look at where we've been for two years and, and when Ken and I came a couple of years ago, we're looking, we're trying to fill the biggest thing. Everybody knows we have top players. We have top players that drive our team and that's not going to change. But those top players, once you get into the playoffs, they need help. They need help. And there's a fine balance of relying on them too much, which we had to do a little bit. 
and adding some depth that we think that can balance our team out, still have those players making sure that they're contributing at the level that they, that they need to, but we just need to have some balance, uh, balance in it. And it's more five on five than anything that, that, uh, we need to continue to build our team. Our special teams have both been pretty good. Um, you know, we lost a couple penalty killers, but we brought some good people in. Derek Ryan is a good penalty killer. Hyman's a good penalty killer. So I, don't, I think we'll be fine there. Uh, we changed some of our defense. Losing Larson was uh, was something that uh, um, we had to address. We think Cody CC in some of the video I've watched him from last year in Pittsburgh, he was a solid player, really solid player. So we're hoping he comes in and can play the same way. Tyson Berry had a nice rebound year last year. He's a really good offensive player, drove number one power play in the league, uh, along with Connor and Leon and Nude. So he's uh, he's coming back. And probably the Keith is a you know unbelievable veteran. I had a long talk with Joel Quinville this weekend about uh, about Duncan, and he thinks Duncan's going to be great. He says he's really motivated, and that's what I found when I talked to him too. The key guy for us this year is Evan Bouchard. He's going to, he's going to, he's ready to take another step. I think he'll be, uh, I think he'll be a lot in the vein of Jesse Pouliard last year where he'll come in. We'll, we'll get him kind of settled in, but I think you'll see his game evolve throughout the year where he, uh, he starts taking a, a, a bigger role with us. So, um, I like our team. I think we have more depth. I think, uh, our players are motivated to take that next step. And you say that every year, but ultimately this is of the three years that are uh, the third year I'm going to be here. This is the one where I think we have the most opportunity to do that. What is the message to a guy like Bouchard then? Because I think on paper, he's, you know, a young guy, he understands what's happening around him and he probably looks at the top four and says, ah, there might not be a lot of room for me to slide in there. How do you approach training camp with a young player like that? Oh, he just, he's, he's been, you know, there's been a lot of talk about him not playing. He's been unbelievable. He, he's been phenomenal. And, uh, you know, we talked about the, him, the opportunity to go down and play some games last year in Bakersfield when he wasn't playing much. And, and he felt like he was getting way more with our team here. And it's because he played in Europe. He played a bunch of games in Europe before he came over, but, uh, the pace, the, how he was playing in practice and the coaching that Jimmy Playfair spends a lot of time with them, that he feels like his game is just ready to take off. And, you know, as a coach, you, you the players dictate, I can't just say, okay, you're a third pair guy. And all of a sudden you start playing like a top four. Why should we leave you in the, in the, in the third pair? So those things evolve during the year, just like Jesse Pugliari, like I said, we started him on the third line and, Halfway through the year, he's playing with Connor most of the time, you know. So there's there's young players that push their way in, and that's how you make your team better. You mentioned your penalty kill, Dave, and you know Ethan Bear was a really good penalty killer. Same, same with Adam Larson. Um, you know, when you switch the top of the penalty kill, is it is it easier maybe to to rotate your forwards in? Is there a little bit more concern in the defense just because they're closer and you know they got to make the the real important reads because a lot of the power plays now you know most of the plays happen closer to the net. How, how does the challenge come when you're probably going to have to play either Evan Bouchard or you know like a Slater Cuckoo or Chris Russell on their offside uh, as your yeah. second pair on the penalty kill? How much of a challenge is that going to be for your PK unit? Well, certainly something we've thought about for sure. I mean. Uh... 
CC is a good penalty killer. Nurse has uh, obviously done uh, a good job for us. Duncan Keith's a good penalty killer, but that uh, Bouchard's going to have to get up and run in there. Um, you know, Tyson Berry is is uh, more on the offensive side, so it will. You know, there are our uh, third third left defenseman is probably you know is it Cuckoo is it Russell Legison's in that mix. He's going to have to, somebody's going to have to help out over there a little bit there. And I think Duncan has played a little bit over there. So, uh, but that's uh, it's certainly uh, something we're going to have to look at here because both Larson and Bear were good right-handed, right handed, right penalty killers that we're going to have to look at and make sure we're, we're covered off there. But it's certainly an area that I think Evan Bouchard, everybody thinks of him as an offensive guy, but it is an area I think he can, uh, he can build into. You mentioned Yesapol Yarvi and just his development. And to me, it wasn't a huge surprise because, you know, you look at the history of a lot of European players, they get to 22 years of age and, you know, that's when a lot of them start to feel comfortable. You know, you can go back to the Koivus and Solanis. Heck, look at the Sedins before they really became, you know, dominant players. Poyarvi, six foot four, Dave. He's probably your biggest, well, he is your biggest forward. He's a real strong guy. I know he's been taking some boxing lessons this summer. Not that he's going to be a fighter, but he just, he wants to feel more confident on the ice. What what did you see in the growth of, of Poyarvi last season that you believe he can take another step this year? Well, he came in, I think, you know, physically, like you say, he's a specimen, right? He's, he's phenomenal. But I think at the start of the year last year, he wasn't sure how it was going to go. You know, he had, Ken and I had spent a lot of time talking to him, but it's different. You walk into that that dressing room with, you know, guys that were teammates before and you're not sure how it's going to go. I give him a ton of credit because he really, he didn't, he didn't over try to fit in. He came in and said, you know what? My play is going to dictate how everybody feels about me. And the better he played, obviously he endears himself to his teammates and you know, he, he took off and once you could see he, he was, I wouldn't say uncomfortable would be a, the wrong way to put it. He was, he was tentative at the start of camp coming in, but as his game grew and as he become more comfortable and, and every day, I, I love the guy. He's so much fun to have on the ice. He's smiling all the time. You, you know, you do a drill and he's competing like crazy and he's laughing and he's, he's having fun playing out there. Those are the guys you love to coach. So as he became more comfortable and started having some success, all the past memories of where it was were behind him. He's a new player, a new opportunity, and he, he was a real good player for us, like a really good player. Dave, we go back to the normal schedule this season. You know, you play the teams in the East once, uh, home and away. Uh, you play within your division. But there, there's none of the mini-series games. As a coach... Did you like that last season of playing the same team, you know, two nights in a row? Did it allow maybe to to prepare for a team better? Because, you know, okay, we got this team for two games. We worry about that for two games. You weren't always bringing in a new team, you know, every time. I know you always worry about yourself, but you still have to focus a little bit on the opposition. Did you like that? Would you like that, not just from a travel perspective, to save, you know, time and wear and tear on the players, but also coaching? What Was it was it better? Did you like it facing the same team on those miniseries? You know what? I did. It was, uh, I'll put that, I did with a caveat. I like two, three is getting a little tough. Four, I think we had two fours or one four or something. Four is too many. (laughs) Too many in the regular season. But the back-to-back game, you know what they do is, and when we first started doing it, we put a lot of onus on 
let's try to win that first game because then I always thought the second game against the team, that was the bonus win. If you win the first one, obviously the team that just lost, they're, they're extra motivated to get, to get that back. So if you win the first one, the second one's a bonus game. You're, you're, you're gaining points on everybody if you're getting that bonus game. So there is a little intrigue into it. You know, there's a tactical part. You're making subtle adjustments. Um, so I, I enjoyed some of that. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be like a, an every series yeah. thing, but I, but I did enjoy it. There was parts of the schedule last year that were were good, but it's hard to judge it. That Canadian division would have been unbelievable if there would have been fans. You know, like the the uh, the emotion and the passion in every game was phenomenal. But but with no fans, you there's a lot of times when you didn't feel that, and I know both teams didn't feel that. You know, so. I'm looking forward to get back to the regular schedule. That being said, I do what you're saying. I, I think there's some merit into it now and then that, that could be, uh, you know, it, it makes for good rivalries. Just talking about something as specific, Dave, as, as having right shot guys on your penalty kill, I'm just curious, in the offseason, are you a guy that is, you know, carrying around a notepad, scribbling some thoughts down or, or looking at different combinations or, or thinking about different things? Or are you someone that sort of can, can get a break and, and stop thinking about hockey? No, I think you're always thinking about it. It's always in the back of your mind. It's funny. We were sitting around after the golf tournament last night. There was a, there was a table that was, uh, it was Joel Quinville, myself, Kevin Deneen and Ron Francis. And we were all just laughing at each other. Like, you got, all these people having fun and partying and the wives are dancing and everything. And you got four grumpy old guys talking about hockey back in the corner, you know? So I, I don't think you ever get it, get it out of your mind. And, and, you know, you're listening to guys and uh, Joel Quinville's wife was telling me the other day, a funny story. Joel will be sitting outside and, and his wife will be sitting beside him and all of a sudden he'll just start talking and she goes, he thinks that I'm the other coach. So he'll be talking about lineups and this and that. He goes, she goes, I don't know what he's talking about, but I just sit there and he talks to me and he thinks it. <laughs> so it's just a way to get stuff off your mind, but it, you, you never really, it never gets off your mind. You're always thinking about, okay, how maybe a combination, is there tweaks we can make? Is there situations where you think you can, uh, maximize the player's talents more somebody that you got to be aware of. I mean, there's, there's all things. And then there's the, there's the mental stuff going into it is, you know, how does this guy feel about playing, you know, on this line or this role as compared to a different one. So there's, there's always things you're thinking about and, and it's, it's about building a team, but you're, that never goes away. And now this year we're dealing with, you know, right now you're trying to, like we're talking about schedule, you've got a regular schedule, you've got Olympic schedule, non-Olympic schedule. I'm a guy that likes to get all that stuff and make sure we're down pat with it, you know, before the season starts. <laughs> You're uh, talking to our travel assistant the other day and she's going, well, we got a lot of variables here right now, you know, so there's a, there's a lot that, I don't know, it's just when you're in the game, you, you're always in the game. Makes sense. And last one for me, Dave, um, you know, you mentioned Cody CC and you got a chance to watch some of his video. I was just curious what your relationship is like with Ken working with him. Obviously he's another guy that's always in the game, head in the game, always, uh, do up to something grinding and, and working hard. Um, 
you know, just in terms of the inc your inclusion in the process, were you someone that sort of watches video on a guy after you get him or were you involved beforehand sort of saying, Hey, look, this guy might be a fit uh, in terms of the process talking to Ken. No, Ken and his staff do a great job. They'll, they'll go out and, uh, and the pro scouts and stuff and they'll identify people. But then once we get down to kind of a shorter list, Ken will bring it to the coaches and say, here's, here's some options we're looking at. Let me know what you guys are thinking. And then, uh, you know, with the video, we have, the ability to watch anybody, anybody shifts. I mean, you can grab it anywhere right now. So, you know, uh, on the defensive part, Jimmy Playfair has a look. I have a look, and uh, and we give Ken our feedback, and then he takes it and goes from there. And then you get into the business part of the game. You never know how that's going to go. And, but uh, but Ken Ken and his staff do a great job. And for us, I like the way that he just you know he's not going to bring something that uh, or throw out names that are not reality he when he brings us something we know it's serious we have a look at it and we give our opinion on it so it's uh it's that's the way it should work ken ken is a really really good guy to work for he's a real you know he's he's so genuine he is who he is and and he's uh very easy to work with very easy it's very good dave earlier on our very first episode we had paul maurice on and we talked about analytics and he says, if we just called it information, it would probably uh, diffuse a lot of the arguments uh, for people. Okay. And you were someone that would, even when you played, and then of course, when you coached, uh, you were, you were you know, tracking a lot of this stuff yourself. And I know you still do today. What in, in your experience over 20 years of tracking stuff, when you track it, and then you need the video to match it. What, are there some areas that that can be deceiving on what you're tracking that you think it shows something? Then you go look at the video and say, well, that's actually not what, what the numbers tell me. Have you learned over the years, are there some things that maybe seem deceiving on the paper until you watch it on video? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I like what you just said about the information because a lot of times what you're doing is is – you have a game that you watched or you coached in or you played in and you have a feel for that game, how it went. And then you watch it on video. You gets a little, you know, you might have a little different feeling and then you do some, some stats on it and not just goals and assists and stuff, some, do some different stuff on it and you're getting a, a whole different feel for it. So, and it's two things. It's, it's as a group, as a team, what did you do as a team and then individuals and, and there's, there's been times early on there. And I, and I, I use this a lot of times with players where a player will make one bad mistake that, that costs a goal or whatever. And he gauges his whole game. He might've played 20 minutes and that was a 10 second play that, but his whole game, how, you know, I asked him how he played. He said, I played poor. I just made that mistake, but the rest of the game might've been unbelievable for him. You know, like he was solid and, and you know, a plus player on chances and everything. So you, you can grab a guy like that and say, hey, you know what? This is a mistake we made. Let's learn from that one. But there's parts of this that you should feel really good about. And then there's other guys. It goes the other way, too, where guy gets two goals and he's uh, feeling good about himself, but the rest of his game is, is red rotten, you know? And there's a lot of areas that, you know, Stand on the stand on the uh, crease in the power play and get two tap ins and you get first star and uh, the rest of the game is not so much. So there's a lot of things it, you use it as a tool. I've done it for a long, long time. 
I think there's some analytics, some analytics stuff that is not. I think there's there's you're looking for information that's not there. You're trying to quantify something that's not there or has no bearing on the game. But there is some stuff that is uh, that is significant that you can look at that uh, can help you and just gives you information of, of where maybe improvements are needed or where you can uh, um, make sure you you know your your stuff is good and you can exploit teams. There's there's a lot of different information to use as a team, and then you break it down as a player too. Play, players want information, and sometimes it's good and bad. I use it a lot as a good thing or to, to promote confidence, to show a player what, what is actually happening, say he's not scoring and, and I can show him the chances he's getting or, or opportunities he's getting or the opportunity he's creating for his teammates that become a very, you know, it, it, it drives confidence in the player, even though they might not be scoring or as much as they'd like, you know, so they, players have to feel like they're contributing to be confident and, um, there's a lot of times you can you can show some stuff like that 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 gets that point across. Yeah, one last one for me before rapid fire, Dave. So I, I get a sense from listening to you when you break down stuff with a player, are, do you focus more on showing the player what they're doing well in video rather than you know and mix in maybe the odd? Okay, here's where it is that that didn't go well so the player can still leave the video session feeling like, Hey, I'm doing more well. Cause in a lot of cases, I'm guessing players probably still do more good than bad, but the one bad mistake is really what, you know, gnaws away at them rather than a lot of the positive small ones. How do you balance that in your video sessions with players? Well, most of my video sessions, there's very few, uh, there's learning clips and there's learning good and bad. Right. Uh, Always, there'll always be positive clips in it. Maybe a couple times a year, I would call them the mulligans. It's like a coach going in and screaming at the players now. You might get two of those a year after that. They're dialing you out. There, okay. There's the odd time when you got to have a little... Uh, and the players know when there's a video session coming that is a, a little reality check, <laughs> there's not many positives in it. <laughs> but most of the time, like our, our video sessions will be depending whether there'll be a pre-scope, maybe one that says, okay, here's, uh, you know, you're showing a little bit of the other team. And then, and then, but most of our videos are all videos that would be, okay, here's a learning clip. Here's what we've done well. Or, it, and, you know, in a pre-scope, we might say, okay, here's, here's uh, you know, Vancouver's neutral zone core check. And you sh- I show one clip of that. But then I'll show five of us, whether it's against Vancouver before or against another team that plays the same structure. Here's five of us beating it. This, okay. this, this is what we got to look at. So there's just trends going into it. And then, and then there's uh, stuff after a game, like, you know, you're showing some mistakes we made, some areas that you, you know, like there might be a, a simple thing as a, we weren't quick enough on pucks or didn't win a cup enough battles. And I might show two of those just, like they're five second hits, boom, boom, and and just message across. And you're not very, very seldom do I ever single anybody out. Um, but that being said, when there's a clip and we need to improve, usually there's three or four guys in it's positioning. Here's what we got to do. You guys are, you know, or whoever here, Leon, Leon, you got to be above the puck here. You can't be cheating below it. Or, you know, there's things like that that, that are that are said that you might 
it's not singling a guy out. It's just saying, hey, positionally wise, this is where this has to be, you know? Awesome, Dave. Uh, we like to always end with uh, rapid fire. The only rule is you have to answer the question. So we like to have some uh, fun oh, with oh, it. I can't, I can't defer. Uh, yeah, I can't. No, no deferring. So we'll, we'll start with one. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, a young Dave Tippett, I hear, was a was a quite skilled soccer player and actually went to like a, a European camp. Um, so at the height of your soccer and the height of your hockey, did you have better hands in hockey or better feet in soccer? Feet in soccer. And so what stopped you from taking the soccer route? I played for the Canadian national team right till under 16 or under 18. And then uh, I got North Dakota gave me a scholarship to go to uh, school. And that summer I was still playing real competitive soccer and I, I hurt my knee. And North Dakota said, soccer's, if you're coming here, soccer's got to go the other way. But I, the Canada, there used to be a contest and it was a world contest. It used to be a contest years ago called the Adidas Skills Contest. Yes. It was all about juggling the ball and all that stuff. I won that twice for Canada as a, I think I was 12 and 14. I won it, won it two times and went to compete in the worlds in Europe. So if I, if I threw a soccer ball into the uh, Oilers uh, pregame skate, how many, how many dribbles could Dave Tippa do today? Or I'll juggles. Story. I'll tell you a funny story about this. Back when uh, it was, I was assistant coach in LA, and uh, the guys played soccer outside. And I, the caveat on it is, I've had three neck surgeries. So I don't know if it's from soccer, but I was walking by, and the ball flipped over me. I had a, a suit and a tie on. It was before the game, and uh, I headed it back to one guy, and they laughed, and, they, and I said. If I juggle this thing 50 times on my head, you give me a hundred bucks. And they all laughed at me and I put it up there. I juggled it 50 times and handed it back to them. They gave me the money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. The first, the first event, when I, when I did this Adidas skills, the world event was over in Paris. The first event was you had to be in the center circle and that you started in the center circle. You, you juggled it 300 times on your right foot and then 300 times on your left foot. 300 times back and forth and a hundred times on your head for a thousand points without dropping it. And that, that was the first event. And I did that. Jeez. So we know not to play two touch with Dave. Okay. <laughs> That's years ago. My, my soccer days are way behind me now. <laughs> um, Dave, after a, a big win or maybe after uh, you're, you're shooting around a golf, what's your cocktail of choice? Um, Right now, Tito's and Fresca. Ooh, Fresca. Okay, I like it. I haven't tried well, that's, that. That's in, that's in Arizona, and that's when you're playing in the heat. You got to have something a little citrus there. Okay, I like it. Now, I was going through the Hartford Whalers team. There's Dave Tippett, Kevin Deneen, of course, Joel Quenville, Dean Evison, Doug Jarvis, Randy Lattisur, all Samuelson, uh, Deneen Francis, of course, is a GM. Like, I don't know if there's a team that's had that many guys become NHL head coaches or assistant coaches. So excluding them, which other former teammate of yours who didn't coach would have been a good coach? Who was there? Ray talked like a coach, but <laughs> his, his, his strength was talking. <laughs> Mike Liu thought, 
thinks the game really well, but he's he's above coaching. <laughs> he didn't want to mess around with that. Um, there were some other good ones there. Like I think Brad Shaw is a good coach who doesn't get credit for being there. Um, who else? Paul, Paul McDermott is a junior owner. Um, there was a guy, well, there was, when I first got there, Mike Zook, and not many people remember Mike Zook, but an old Mike Zook was a smart, smart old player. Uh, there was, there was a lot of, you know, here's one for you. A guy that would be a really good coach because he was really laid back and a good person, Ray Newfeld. Oh yeah. Okay. Ray Newfeld would, would, uh, Ray was a good man, really good man. Of all the players you've coached in the NHL, who do you think could be the best head coach when their career is done or if they've already retired? Um, you know who I think is going to be a good coach, have a chance to be a head coach? Steve Ott. Oh, yeah, Otter. He's, uh, he's, well, he's definitely one of the best chirpers I've ever met in my life. He's, he's, he's the best I've ever had in the chirping department, yeah. But he's, he's, you know what? He's a passionate guy, really is, is knows the game, knows the game, work ethic, and uh, he's, uh, he's a guy I think's got a chance. Dave, uh, thanks so much for playing Rapid Fire and uh, continued success. Uh, enjoy uh, enjoy your golf season now that you got your new uh, DeChambeau handles. You can get back yeah. on the course. I might try to play a little bit the next couple of weeks, but then we'll, we'll look to head up to Edmonton early September here. So the summer's winding down. Awesome, Dave. Well, good to see you again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, thanks very so much, much guys. That's Dave Tippett, NHL head coach and uh, clearly a uh, multi-sport athlete. A uh, thousand dribbles, Frank. Uh, think you could dribble a soccer ball 10 times right now? Uh, no, I can't even count that high. <laughs> Come on. Like, that's insane. Like, I watched those guys play two-touch before the game, back when we were allowed in, in, at event level. And it was, you know, for those guys, not soccer players, it was still something to behold because they're such good athletes. But to see someone like Dave Tippett do it, that'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I do find that uh, some, some of the best guys in two-touch are the, some of the European players. Like, they can really dominate. You know, obviously, soccer's a little bit bigger over there. It's growing a lot in North America. And, um, you know, Dave, it's it's interesting. A lot of good tidbits from that from that conversation with Dave. He, he's always been a student of the game. There's no question. And, you know, how he has to try to glean some information, uh, you know, when it comes to analytics, that you're, you're trying to find something that isn't there. But then also how, you know, it, sometimes the video and, and the stats can change what you think you saw so there's definitely strengths to it for sure but i think sometimes some stuff gets overplayed and, and people connecting dots that aren't there yeah and you know what by far the most interesting part of the interview for me was what he mentioned about evan bouchard and how big of a role he might play oh, yeah. on this team because looking at you know as i mentioned in the question the the roster on paper you know tyson barry comes back and is probably going to be that power play quarterback that people thought bouchard might grow into that role this season and there just doesn't seem to be a lot of room on paper for him to, to chew off or, or steal a bunch of minutes and, and for him to come in and, and have that ability to do so. I think it would just make everyone better. Well, the fact that, you know, they're, they're going to want to give him some time on the penalty kill, uh, I, I think is, is intriguing for me for sure. But the other thing, Frank, I'll say this right now. Um, I don't count out Evan Bouchard at all 
midway through the season being the guy who plays some minutes with Darnell Nurse five on five. So I can say you heard it here first, but uh, Evan Bouchard, he's six foot three. Size does matter when everybody's all skilled the same. And he's been training the offseason with Darnell Nurse. We didn't get a lot into the Darnell Nurse extension with Dave. He doesn't sign the contract, so I didn't really think it was necessary. But, you know, the one thing about Nurse is Nurse's condition's always been off the charts, right? We saw it in the playoffs when he played like 65 minutes, didn't even look like he was tired. And then he just flew home and, you know, uh, didn't go to bed and, you know, had the birth of his first child, which is pretty cool. But, you know, Evan Bouchard, when I talked to him at the end of the year, he felt like he learned a lot from being around the group and watching. And now he'll learn just how to be a professional. I've talked to a lot of young players. Like they train really hard, but then there's like training with elite guys. And Darnell Nurse is one of the elite condition athletes. So I I think Evan Bouchard, uh, I won't be surprised at all if Evan Bouchard comes out and and has a really impactful season on the back end for the Edmonton owners. He's 22 years of age now. Uh, When the season begins, he'll be a, He'll be a, a guy who can make an impact and possibly even more of a role than Pugliarvi simply because as a defenseman, he'll play more minutes. Yeah, and that's another thing that I really like about the Oilers is just the collection of strivers that they have, guys that are pushing themselves every summer to get better. McDavid is obviously on that list. Dreisaitl has joined him, Nurse, and then you add another guy like Bouchard, and pretty soon it starts to rub off on the rest of the guys on the roster. Yeah, the big wild card in Edmonton is can Dylan Holloway come in and push for a spot? And if so, does that mean maybe Nugent Hopkins, uh, they slide him to center with Drysaddle and McDavid, something that people have talked about as a potential. So uh, for the first time in probably two decades, Edmonton has some legit depth up front, something they haven't had in a long time. Uh, Frank? You you heard it from Tip right there. All you need is the support in the playoffs, the depth, get the quantity of really good players up. I think that's the lesson and takeaway from Tampa Bay is – they win two Stanley Cups on the back of their depth. And the other thing is, how many people are going to try those uh, those new fat grips now from DeChambeau? If that can, uh, if Dave can get back golf, that's one of the knows? best testimonials and plugs we've heard for a product in a long time. <laughs> We're going to have to hire him here on the Daily Faceoff. Yeah, you bet. Awesome, Frank. We'll talk to you uh, later this week. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.